0: everyone to debating metal I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal your host along with Chris Kay, my co-host. This is the podcast where we talk about all things hard rock and heavy metal and this week we're finishing up our conversation about one hit wonders of heavy metal
1: Last week we picked ten bands that started off with promising careers with a big hit but for one reason or another never regained that momentum they once had. We already spoke about five bands last episode and this week we're going to talk about the other half. But before we begin, I kind of wanted to just ask, what have you been listening to lately? You know, that's a good question. I, I haven't been listening to
0: a lot, <laughs> that's for sure. It's been a weird week. You know, we've been busy at work, and, uh, and I've been trying to actually catch up on my podcasts but uh, that I listen to typically. But anyway, what I have heard, though, is the latest song from Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. Uh, I believe it's called The River is Rising. Uh, that's a pretty cool song I probably you know for for what it's worth i mean to me it sounds like almost one of the most mature songwriting efforts with the slash and, and the band i I don't know if if it's yeah and it's not necessarily like a an adult ish kind of song but it's it's just one that seems like they 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 know themselves really well now. And even though that's supposedly what happened last album, but they, this one seemed like you know two buddies got together, jammed, and put out a pretty cool song. And uh, you know, I, is it going to knock the socks off of Billboard charts? Probably not. But at the same time, it's a really cool hard rock song. And you know, Miles is a great singer slash is a great guitar player. The band is solid, so it's a, it's a pretty good song. I like it. I like it a lot.
1: That's awesome. I need to check that out for sure. I've always really liked. Alter Bridge, I like what Miles does with uh, with Slash, um, so I definitely need to check that out. I I didn't even realize it was out yet. Yeah, the, the song. What's funny about it is like there's a,
0: a little bit of of Miles singing, almost seems like Alter Bridge-ish because I know he definitely does two different styles with each of the t- two bands that he's in, but this mm-hmm. one almost kind of blends that Alter Bridge style of vocals, and he throws it into that Slash song, and, and it, that, I think that's part of what I like about it. Gotcha.
1: Well, I'll definitely check that one out. Um, what have you so, been listening to? Yeah, so I was wondering if you've heard the new Fozzie, Sane. Have you listened to that one yet? I heard it a few weeks ago, um, but
0: I never really... It, it, it didn't grab me enough to sit there and say, I want to listen to it again. Yeah, but, uh, that's kind
1: of uh, how I felt about it. I. It Also, like I just felt he was... Or, or Chris Jericho was especially whiny in the vocals on this particular track. (laughs) Must have been having a rough match. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I I had a hard time with it because I, you know, I started off with their career. I really liked what they were doing. And then it just kind of, it went in a very different direction and I've had a hard time kind of staying on track with them as, as a band I listened to.
0: You know, I didn't pick them up right away at the beginning. I mean, I knew that they were, you know, I, I, for the first time the other day, I discovered that they were known as Fozzie Osborne when they first started. I mean, I didn't know any yeah. of the whole fakeness that they were trying to do, but I heard about it eventually. And what what, I, what I've what i noticed, you know, like they did really cool covers. I liked a lot of the songs that they chose as covers when they did those stuff early on. But then it was more of, of when they got more mature and they started getting to like, if we're going to be a real band, we need to write real songs type of thing. Some of those songs were Okay. I still felt like that they weren't great songs. But then when this, when Judas came out, that song was really cool. I, ironically enough, Chris didn't write the song. It was written by the producer. Uh, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Chris didn't write any of the lyrics on the album. But I'm not sure about that. I can't be 100% positive. But I think that's the same thing that's happening again on this album. So I don't know if... if Fozzie's losing Chris's identity and they they they're more about the identity of this producer and that's the why they want to go in this direction just so they get away from something like that. I don't know what the deal is, but they definitely have changed completely, you know, 180 from what they were at the beginning. You oh, know, for sure. For some yeah. it's good, for some, you know, like yourself where you kind of like I liked what they had at the beginning, I might not I don't like it as much now, you know. But
1: Yeah, for sure. That's kind of that's just kinda where I'm at with them right now. Um but what I have been listening to a lot lately, I talked about a few weeks back, is uh Blood uh Bloodbound. Uh their their album Nosferatu. Actually I've been listening to their first three albums uh, a lot. I've just been kind of really into that, so that's uh kind of been most of my playlist and then uh, you know, a little bit of, of some other stuff that's related uh, a lot of power metal, but mostly I, I've just kind of really been into those albums the last few weeks. Cool. Cool. I, I
0: for me, you know, I was, I was out of town for a week and, and 90% of my concentration was on playing baseball. And, you know, I get home and I was hanging out with these guys that I was rooming with f- until eleven, twelve, one o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, then right after that, I would go to bed, I would put on something on on my phone to listen to, but it was totally background noise. So I never got an opportunity to listen to anything new in the last couple of weeks. So I'm I, I'm excited to be back, but at the same time I was catching up on other stuff. So I'm I'm really wanting to to check out some new stuff. And uh, I did get a couple of things. Like I had an Iron Maiden shirt on, and some guy literally struck up a conversation with me about the new album, and I was like. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I definitely like it. You know, and it was just so weird to me because I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, but that, that happens. You know, when you wear when you wear band shirts from time to time.
1: Yeah, it's, it happens all the time. When I've gone to restaurants and stuff like that, somebody, be, hey man, I love that band, and then it becomes a conversation. It's always that's that's kind of the cool thing about metal. Yeah, is you can wear that and and people are really interested in it. So, yep, absolutely. So,
0: tonight we got the other five bands that we're doing as One Hit Wonders. And um, so last time I did three bands, you did two. So this time you're doing three and I'm doing two. So that means you get to go first. And what do you got for us tonight?
1: Okay, so the first band that I'm going to talk about, um, it's never been one of my favorites, but you know I've always had a lot of respect for their musicianship um this band was formed in 1985 as Majesty uh, by the trio of Mike Portnoy John Petrucci and John Myung and you might know who I'm talking about and that's dream theater uh, the band originally recruited the singer Chris Collins who was then replaced by Charlie Dominici who did their first album um, it was it was called uh when when dream and day unite in 1989 it was a and release to very little fanfare it it just kind of went under the radar um it wasn't very long before they realized that dominici was not the guy they wanted to go with um so it took them two years of auditioning singers to find their replacement and he is the guy that fits the sound of the band and that's james labrie um he was recruited like like I said after two hundred singers uh, uh, allegedly were auditioned across the U.S. Um, and then they were signed by Atco Records to a seven record deal. So they had a lot of faith in these guys. Um, it's really amazing to me that they had this much faith in a band that kind of has a, a limited appeal and I, and I don't mean that in an insulting way. I just like they have a very specific kind of audience. And to be signed for seven records at that point, is that is that kind of a normal thing? That You know, uh,
0: back then, the only big album contract deals that I heard about was Michael Jackson's when he signed with Sony. Mm-hmm. And when um, Aerosmith signed with Sony. And Aerosmith signed with Sony in the early 90s, so about this time. So I don't know if if this was something, a reaction to that, and it, they wanted to you know nail this band down and keep them in-house, because it, it is kind of unheard of for a new band like that. I mean, at the same time, you think about uh, Helmet came out in 1992. They were signed mm-hmm. to a $500,000 contract. I don't know how many albums they were supposed to produce, but I do know that they got a $500,000 signing bonus. The problem with all, those, all that money that comes in and out is that, It's literally like, okay, here, we're going to give you an advance of a bajillion dollars. You're never going to see a single dime when it comes to record sales or anything like that. Because every time that a record is sold, the the money goes back to the record company. So the only time you make money after you sign those big deals is by touring and by merchandise sales. So, you know. Any any album sales, whatsoever, all goes back to the record company. So you know when they put promotion, they charge you for it. So when they so if they give you that that, you know they give you a thirty you know and in this particular case I don't know what the the dollar amount was but seven albums is a lot. So like in Aerosmith's case it was I think it was a thirty five million dollar deal. You know it almost sounds like a baseball contract, but you know I think it was a five album thirty five million dollar deal, which is really weird in that regards just in general. Uh, but you know you got to you, you basically get seven million dollars an album or something like that you know and even though that sounds like a lot you anything that's promotion wise so, so if they go out there and they put commercials on the air they're charging they're charging the band so all you know so if they give you five million dollars or seven million dollars for the, for the album then they put another two million dollars into advertising and you know whatever other money they spend on you all that has to be recouped by the record company before the band sees uh, a dime. Yeah. So for for uh, Dream Theater to sign a seven-year contract... It, it seems weird. Now, I don't know what, the, again, the dollar figures were, but that just seems really odd. But that was something that was happening around that time. Record companies were trying to lock down their bands. But for a new band like that, especially uh, you know one that is uh, progressive like they are, that is kind of weird and unheard of.
1: Yeah, a bit. So basically when they got it down to the, the band's second album, uh, it was three years later in 1992 and it featured their only top 10 hit, which was pull me under, uh, the song received heavy rotation on MTV and really has come to be known as the band's signature song. Uh, the band has recorded 13 more albums since with only lineup changes being keyboards and Mike Portnoy, the drummer leaving in 2010. Um, they released a music video chronicling his replacement, uh, with some of the world's best drummers um, auditioning, you know, from all over the world, including Mike Mangini, who, who eventually did join the band. Um, Dream Theater has gained a reputation of containing some of the most technically sound musicians, uh, but they've never really gained that widespread appeal due to their very technical playing. And, you know, there's a really long run time to a lot of their tracks. So it's, it's, it's one of those that it, it attracts a very specific audience and they're aware of that, but they don't want to do anything different than what they're doing either. So I have a lot of respect for them as musicians. I have a lot of respect for their integrity in doing what they want to do. They're just never going to be one of those bands that really finds just widespread mainstream appeal because that's not what they're trying to achieve.
0: You know, at at the time that this came out, I remember kind of hearing the song. I don't know where or how or when. I, I don't know if there's a video for it on MTV or not or if there was. And maybe it was played one night on the Headbangers Ball. It's one of those things where, like, growing up as a kid, I heard Led Zeppelin a lot, but I had no idea who they were. You know, I heard "Stairway to Heaven." I kind of knew that that was Led Zeppelin, but I had heard "Black Dog." I had heard uh, "All All of My Love," but I didn't know they were the same band. I didn't know anything about Led Zeppelin. Mm. And but you heard those songs in the background. "Pull Me Under" was one of those songs that I think I heard when I was when I was around. You know, and I don't want to say younger because yes, I was younger, but it, I was already an adult at this time. Um. It was one of those songs that I believe I just I, I caught wind of and I heard somehow some way, and I always thought it was pretty cool. Didn't know it was Dream Theater, you know. And then later on, I found out, oh, this is Dream Theater. This is pretty neat, you know. What else did they have? Listen to what else they had. And I think I got that Change of Seasons EP that came out in '95 when I was still working for the record company, and it's they're so different. You know, and there's a lot of things that are attractive about them, especially back then, because they uh, as, as elaborate as they try to be, I think today, that they're, they're, they're almost way out there in many cases, while still trying to be metal. And I, I, I just never was able to get into them, you know, I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty cool, and you know, the Change of Seasons EP, what was cool about that one was that it had songs on it like it had a perfect strangers cover from from deep purple it had a led zeppelin medley uh the rover achilles last stand and the song remains the same and then it had some big medley these are all live by the way and then it had a big medley uh of pink floyd kansas queen journey the dixie dregs and genesis all in one so- one song and it was like 10 minutes long you know and as cool as that is you know you you like that but that doesn't that doesn't tell you what the band is about so you know a change of seasons the song was a 23 minute song you know with with seven parts to it you know that's where you kind of like they lose you but the diehard fans that's what they that's what they're into they
1: eat it up yeah i mean you know. like i said i'm i've never been a huge fan i i like bands that play songs that are 20 minutes like i was a big fan of opeth in their earlier years. Uh, I still like what they do, but I liked the earlier stuff better. Um, and they've got some 20-minute tracks. And I always liked them. So I understand where, where they're coming from. Um, and I like, I like I said, I really respect that integrity to not just go, hey, we're going to play as mainstream as possible. I don't think that Pull Me Under was a, intended to just be a mainstream hit. I think it just happened to be on the, in the spectrum of what they did at the time, you know, right? But it was very. I mean, it's a very
0: good song. I mean, I I, I really it's, really like that yeah. song.
1: No, it's a great song. Yeah,
0: but it, it's so. It is definitely different than what they more or less do on a regular. You know, because they're so progressive, and sometimes you know, it, it, I mean, think about how progressive Iron Maiden is nowadays, and this is not even close to how progressive <laughs> Dream oh, yeah, Theater is. You know,
1: yeah, it's it's a different level of progressive metal yeah
0: so i you know I, I i thought they were cool um i i but i've never been able to totally dig into them so i see where they fit into the category of one hit wonders because pull me under was a pretty good song to just put the band and the band's still around today so that's a testament to their their abilities and and, and the fact that they want to stay together but it, it they're they're they have a niche and that's as far as they're gonna go.
1: Yep. All right, so who do you
0: got next? All right, so I have a more I guess you could say more modern band, and this is Static X, um, and Static X their their big one hit for me and I would say for a lot of people in the mainstream is the song Push It, which was off their debut album Wisconsin Death Trip the mainstream in general is going to know about this song because it it gets, it gets played a lot. Um, it is pretty, you know, uh, what's the word industrial? I mean, that's their sound. Um, but I, I, you know, what Wisconsin death trip is a pretty cool album, but in reality, it's a reason why I was only a one-hit wonder,
1: <laughs> you know. I remember hearing this song a lot when I was in high school. Um, it played on some of the, the local radio stations, and I remember this album. Um, I, I think either my sister had it or a friend had it and left it at my house or something like that. But so I had it for a little while, but it wasn't. It was never mine, you know. Right. Um, but I remember listening to it a couple times, and it just it wasn't really my thing. Um, but I, I, again, like it, it's, it's good for w- like what it is like industrial metal. It's a, it's a, I can tell it's a good album. I mean, like I say, it's a pretty decent album. I, I, I personally think, um,
0: machine is better, uh, person, which machine is their second album. So essentially, you know, they put out this album. If they end up with two single, two additional singles, uh, the song I'm with stupid and bed for days. Um, this to me those songs are nowhere near as catchy or as melodic as Push It. You know, mm. there's just something about Push It that's just really cool. And so they they come out with their second album Machine, and that's kind of where I got into them because they had a single for it called This Is Not, and I thought that song was pretty cool. And I I got into them because K and A C. Uh, now back then K and A C was. Is not wasn't the same as it was in this in its heyday in the eighties. KNAC was basically an online radio station, um, the, basically one of the first first stations to stream. That you know, one of the mainstream streaming stations. Put it that way.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> just a funny way to put it. Yeah, yeah.
0: it's a, it's a lot of streaming going on there. Um, so they they their website is still active. Their website still you know is is what it's been for a long time it looks identical to the way it did 20 years ago um they just obviously update the information <laughs> is
1: it on Angel Fire
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just really lame looking all the yeah. info's there but it 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 really has never been updated other than as far as content is for you know like the latest releases and and interviews and all that yeah. stuff but it's in terms of format it's never been updated but um anyhow I, I got into them when they released Machine, and I would hear the songs. You know, this is not Black and White, Ostego, uh, Undead, Cold. Those songs were good. Um, Get to the Gone. Those are really cool songs. I mean, to the point where I went out and bought the album. More, and, and I, it, oddly enough, I didn't have Wisconsin Death Trip. I didn't even think about it at the time because I hadn't heard Push It at that point. You know, um, it was just, I was not into industrial metal. I was not into that scene, but because I was streaming k and and they kept playing the shit out of Black and White and This Is Not, that's what I got into. Um, mm, gotcha. So I like those songs better, but Push It's a really cool. When I finally heard Push It, I'm like, oh, I can see why, you know, they were they got popular. It's a, it's a catchy song. Um, But, you know, the, so the second album comes out, now they're kind of getting into some, Static within the band, pun intended. <laughs> um, basically, they're 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 partying all the time. The band is is you know uh, relishing in their the success that they have, and Wayne is trying to write the next album. So he goes off into a corner, writes the album by himself, presents it to the band. They go into the studio. They, they're about ready to record the songs, and when they go to break down all the financials, he turns around and says. By the way, you guys are not getting any song credits because I did this all by myself, and that caused a whole shitload of tension between the band and mostly their guitar player, who is uh, what's his name? Uh, oh no, he left already. Uh, yeah, Koichi, Koichi
1: Fukuda, Fukuda. Which he's back now, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they. I remember they brought in Trip Eisen, who right. has a whole lot of <laughs> issues. Well, he's
0: he's also back in the band too. Trip Eisen? No, he's not. Oh no, not Trip. Who's the guy who's singing for him? Oh, the, Zero. Uh, that guy Zero. That's Trip Eisen, by the way. Oh no, it's not. No, it's not. Zero is um, fuck is uh, what's his name? Edsel Dope. That's right.
1: Yeah, Trip Eisen ran into some legal troubles which he will not be uh invited back to most bands for. Yes, true. I forgot about that. So anyway, so Fukuda got uh Koichi uh, Koichi Fukuda got
0: mad at the whole situation that Wayne decided to cut them all out of the songwriting. But in reality I mean, that's what happens with a lot of bands. You know, they they you know, the first album it's all, you know, all for one, one for all, and then they realize, wait a second, I'm doing ninety percent of the work. Why am I gonna give you, you know, my share of the money when I'm doing all the work? But and that's how bands start breaking up and people start leaving and stuff like that. And of course that's what ended up happening here because Koichi ended up leaving after uh the album or the tour, I can't remember which one it was. But, you know, it's no, actually, he left during it because he's not on the actual machine album.
1: Yeah, I don't. I think he left before all that happened. I remember there being drama, but I don't know all the specifics of it. Yeah, and I, that, I'm pretty sure he left before the second album even took place. Yeah,
0: he he did. He ended up doing some keyboards on it. Yeah, uh, you know, I guess as, as a demo, and they kept it on there. But other than that, I mean, he wasn't on the album. In you know, not that it's totally noticeable because of the the sound that they have and the style that they have. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, Trip Eisen at the time, uh, which we'll call it, he fit in well with the band, uh, but that would later change. (laughs) So anyhow, um, you know, so you get, you get all this static and stuff like that. And the band kind of just goes in and out. And um, it finally, it took its toll on the band. and, And in 2009, they didn't really break up so much as they just all parted ways, and then Wayne started touring as a solo act. But he had to ask permission from the from the from mostly from Tony Campos to use the name, which he got from Tony, and he ended up paying Tony money every time he played a Static X, because um, he didn't want to tour as Wayne Static, so he he, tou- he toured as Static X. So it, it, very weird financial arrangement that they had, but it, it, I guess it worked. And in the end, Wayne ended up passing away in 2014 due to excessive prescription drugs and alcohol that were in his system, despite the fact that his wife, Tara Ray, was stating that he had not been on drugs since 2009. So she's saying it was a five-year period. He wasn't on anything, but the toxicology report from the coroner proved otherwise um
1: so it's really too bad i mean he's still pretty young it's it's always sad when we lose musicians due to you know these kind of issues but really any you know anything that comes along like this so. oh absolutely
0: i mean he for what it was worth he he had a niche and it was really cool niche um uh, i mean it not a lot of bands have that popularity i mean obviously ministries the leaders in industrial metal um obviously what's his face uh trent Reznor, you know and nine inch nails and then you know marilyn manson and all his screw-ups uh you know oh god yeah <laughs> but you know but they were at, at one point They were all the, the the leaders of this movement you know obviously static x was later on but Static X, what, 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 what I liked about them, they were a combination of the industrial metal with a lot of the, the, the sampling and, and the, the, the staccato style of playing music. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so
1: so how do you feel about what they're doing now? Okay, so, with the, with the, so the whole thing the now, line?
0: they reunited in 2018, they released a new album in 2019 um, using previously recorded vocals of uh, static of Wayne. And then they added some guest vocalists, but the touring wise, they went out on tour and I, I get where you're going with this question. They have this singer in the band who dresses up like Wayne. His name is zero, but they've done a really bad job of hiding the fact that it's Edsel dope uh, from dope. And, I don't want to say they've done a bad job. They've done a good job of hiding it, but it, it 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 came out there and it's kind of common now. So they still call him Zero. I I don't I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, might as well just come out and, and call it Static X with Edsel Dope singing. You know why yeah. why have him dress up like like Wayne? You know if he wants to go out there and put his hair up like Wayne, you know, as a tribute every night, fine. But to kind of put a mask on to look like him, it's kind of weird. To me
1: it's kind of weird i mean it's kind of cool at the same time i guess if you're a fan it, like if you're a real fan then maybe you have different feelings about it i, I just was curious what you thought about it because it is kind of a weird thing i mean like, uh, i'm not a i'm not opposed to it but no
0: you know i i i get it you know i don't mind when bands go out there i mean look queen and adam lambert queen and paul rogers they're playing queen songs and someone's singing but i and yeah, I don't they s- call
1: themselves Queen with right. Adam Lambert. Yeah, I don't see Adam Lambert
0: Adam. dressing up like uh you know like Freddie Mercury. Only Emmy Sakura is allowed to do that.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't
0: know, Emmy's a is a female wrestler from Japan who is signed with AEW, and she has come out literally, mustache, microphone and all, dressed as as Freddie Mercury, as she goes into the ring. It's, it's the craziest thing. I thought it was so weird. She left the mustache on for the fight that she had and eventually got ripped off her face, but it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. So She's the only one allowed to dress like him. All right, um, so you think it's weird. I think it's weird, but at the same time, I'm glad, I'm glad they're honoring Static X in that regard and Wayne in that way
1: yeah I mean what happens when the music is is gone? It's no longer being played you know it's it's one of those things like a lot of these bands that we know and have have grown up with um you know they're reaching an age where you know they're they're getting old, a lot of the members are dying, et cetera so one example that comes to mind obviously is quiet riot with you know what they're doing bringing uh, Rudy Sarzo back in the band. So they have at least an original member. Um, But the thing is like, you can say, well, they should just hang it up, go away. But you know, what happens to that music? It's gone after people stop playing it. So it's, it's one of those subjects. that's interesting to talk about because there are a lot of variables as to why it's good and why it's bad.
0: Yeah. That's definitely a, a conversation for another day but mm-hmm. it's it is a very cool conversation because there is a lot of controversy one way or the other you know they had the whole thing with the touring Ronnie James Dio hologram mm-hmm. you know so you have that extent of it you have this Wayne static static x kind of thing going on and then you have regular tribute bands you know or or bands that are going out there you know ex members and going out there and playing the music, like Thin Lizzy, they kept the name alive. It has a few members from the original band, but everyone knows Phil's the singer, you know. And everyone knows that he was the, the poet, and he was he was special in that way. And no one can replace him. But they went on, you know, and and they've done a, a good job. But they've it's just because they've kept the name going, and that's pretty cool because they keeps they keep the music going, they keep the music alive, they keep the spirit alive, and that's what matters the most. So what's your next band?
1: All right, so I'm going to talk about a band from Japan this time. Um this was a, a one of the first bands that ever crossed over to the US and and had a hit. Uh and that's Loudness. Uh they were formed in Osaka, Japan, like I mentioned in 1981. And uh they were able to cross over over the their by their fifth album to the U S with thunder in the east. Um, it was their first full English release. They did a lot of their early stuff in Japanese and English. And, uh, there was, there was some kind of appeal to them that max Norman saw and, and he, uh, produced their first album. Um, Their big hit from the album was Crazy Nights, which received some rotation on MTV and has since really become their biggest single. Um, The way that I found out about them was Children of Bottom played a back and forth uh, solo between Alexi and Yana, which is the keyboardist. They went back and forth playing, you know, these intricate riffs. And then their rhythm guitarist comes in playing that, you know, like as kind of a joke because they were playing in Japan and the crowd went absolutely nuts for it, which was really cool to hear. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting about this, this song is that uh, there's a chant of MZA and it means absolutely nothing. Uh <laughs> So basically what happened was um they were writing the song they had this 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 you know riff and everything and Max said well you should have some kind of chorus like some kind of chant in there uh you know and so they just made filler of MCA and then they forgot Or just never got around to replacing it. So it's still in the song to this day. And it never had a meaning. Which I think is hilarious. Dude, that song, when that came out, was so awesome.
0: It was really, really heavy. Uh, That Mm -hmm. riff is killer. And, you know, you you saw a band as like, man, if these guys can keep it together, they're going to be pretty big. And...
1: They kept it together,
0: but they never became big in
1: the States. Um Yeah, there's there's a little more to tell about kind of why that happened. Um <laughs> which is go ahead. No, I,
0: I I mean the whole MZA thing was really cool because you know, as a kid you're listening to the song, oh what's MZA mean? You know, there's gotta be something. And you 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 want to dig something up, like nowadays, the first thing you'd be doing is, is googling. Why are they saying MC, You know, MZA. Yeah. You know, but you know, back then, you just you were kind of left in the dark. Like, oh, what does MZA mean? You wonder. You know, you try to become part of the fan club or something like that. You know? <laughs> and but it's such a cool song, and then that chant is pretty neat. But in reality, you know, it means nothing. And, uh, you know, and Max Norman, the producer who you, you were referencing, he, you know, he wanted them to change it, but they never came up with anything, so they left it. And, that, <laughs> you know, those are cool There's stories. a mystery
1: to it, you know. Yeah. Too. So, like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of songs. How many songs are out there that we don't know what the lyrics really mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So so it really doesn't matter. I just thought it was funny that it turned up like somebody asked him, and uh, the singer uh, yeah. and and it was like it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, the, I have this record.
0: I I got I have one of the original you know 1985 releases. It's a it's a
1: it's a good album
0: in general. It is. Um, but unfortunately, like, like and you'll you'll finish the story. They really didn't go anywhere.
1: Yeah. It was. You know. The, it's kind of tough. You're, you're a Japanese band, the first one signed to an international record deal playing in the U.S., and it's, it's kind of hard to find that footing. I mean, you think about the time period. This is the 80s. Um, there's still kind of a stigma of Japanese people in the U.S. And it it was just hard for them to really break in that way. Like the song, you know, every once in a while there's a song from somewhere else in the world that becomes really popular in the U.S. And it's, it's hard for that, that musician to kind of keep that going because maybe that the rest of their sound doesn't sound the same you know the way they they uh, write songs like that was the one standout that really fit into a us appeal and that was kind of the case here because they maintained their popularity in japan um but they they still had that that you know a little bit of a hit here in in the us because their next album lightning strikes actually charted better than Thunder in the East. So there was still the fan base here. It just... What ended up happening was... The the singer, Minoru Niihara... left the band. And Max Norman actually suggested... that they bring in an American singer. Because there was a Japanese accent... to everything that, that uh, Minoru sang. And he thought... why not just... we've already got the fan base here... Like, why not just bring in an American singer and it, it'll sound more American? Well, what ended up happening, which was to the deficit on both ends, was that they no longer had that unique sound that, that they had by being a Japanese band. You know, some of the songwriting, yeah, it's, it's different because they come from different background and have a, have a different sense of sensibility in writing their songs, but they lost that sound, that, that voice. And then, in Japan by sw- by switching to an American singer, they lost their appeal as well. So they actually kind of nosedived during that time for two albums with Mike Viserra on vocals. Um, eventually, you know, after two albums and two week uh, touring cycles, they brought on another singer named Masaki Yamada, and he was very popular. They actually released their their like biggest album in japan at that point but they had lost their u.s record deal there so it just it didn't work out you know it just they've still maintained and they've actually grown in popularity in japan their original singer came back um after five albums um with yamada and they actually have a really prolific catalog at this point um when he when Nihara returned um, he re- they recorded thirteen more albums. They have a a catalog of twenty seven albums at this point, wow. which is just crazy. Um, but again, they continue to chart in Japan. They're very popular there. Um, they do have a fan base in the U.S. that's still into them. And now at this point, like especially with um a lot of streaming services it's that that have opened up some more of the channels, you can find a lot of stuff that you couldn't before. Um, the world, as we know, has become a lot more open and um, it's easier to find things than it once was with the Internet. Mm-hmm. And so they've still got a, a fan base here, um, but they've never reached that same level here.
0: Now, I, you know, Akira Takasaki is is really well known within the the circles of guitar playing. So Mm -hmm. he gets a tremendous amount of respect. Um, And what's really cool about the band right now, as it stands, other than the fact that um, Higuchi, the drummer passed away, it's a really, it's, it's the original band. Yeah. You know, and, and let's say original, the original band that became popular. You know, uh, the, yeah, the classic lineup. Yeah, the classic lineup. I mean, for the most part, it is the one that recorded the first album. You know, except Huguji and drums. I mean, but he had left and came back, and they had been together. I mean, he recorded another seven albums before he passed away in two thousand eight, and then they had to recruit another drummer. You know, and and the other drummer is Masayuki Suzuki. That's a really cool name, by the way. <laughs> Masayuki Suzuki I want that on my (laughs) t-shirt You know And and he's been with the band For another six albums So You know They were pretty stable Or you know Except for that period of time Where they were trying to Cross over and appeal to Americans Which you know I If I had been management I would have told them You know that's going to be a bad idea But you know they, yeah. didn't, they didn't ask me I was just some guy in New York <laughs> who moved to Miami. But yeah, it's it's good to see that, you know, Nahara's back. It's good to see that Takasaki never left. Um, you know, uh, Yamashita left and came back. So, I mean, basically the original band reunited in 2 th- uh, in 2000 and they basically have been together ever since, and that's pretty cool. Um, it's a it's sad that, you know, Higuchi Um, passed away but you know they've they've continued on and they've only had one drummer since then
1: yeah it's rare when you have that few of lineup changes
0: yeah exactly especially this far into your career Mm -hmm. you know so anyway my next band is the bullet boys and i i i've yeah, I've always, I, my Matt in Miami, we've, we've talked about him a million times on the show. He's a big Bullet Boy fan, and I've always made fun of him because he was a Bullet Boy fan. Um, I love the song Smooth Up In Ya. It's a really cool song. That is a song that bu- the Bullet Boys are known for. Um, so to kind of go over the whole thing, and I'll, I'll get back to Matt in a second, so the band started in 1987 and they quickly drew many comparisons to Van Halen. And that had a lot to do with singer Mark Torian. Um, but at, then the, you know, the band started to write songs in, in the style of early Van Halen. So, so much so they got signed to Warner brother records, which is Van Halen's label at the time. Um, actually not even at the time they were already, yeah, no, they were, they were still on Warner brothers. Um, and they had ten, Ted Templeman produce the album, so even more Van Halen comparisons. Um, Ted Templeman, for those of you who don't know, did all the, the original first six Van Halen records, and then went on to do David Roth's first solo album.
1: So, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah, so just a few to weeks ago. So,
0: so listen to that because that's a, that's an important episode to listen to. <laughs> um so they release this, they record this album, they release the debut. And if you think about it, 1988 is when this album came out. And this came out in the heyday of pop metal. Poison is all over the radio. You know, Cinderella's all over the radio. Motley Crue is, 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 is in between albums at this point. They're getting ready to release, um, uh, Dr. Feelgood, uh, you know, a few months later, you know, in 89. Um, so, there's a lot of, of stuff going on. MTV's got, I believe they got Headbangers Ball at this point. They're playing, you know, Guns N' Roses is, is, is all over the, the radio. with so glam and pop, metal and all that stuff and heavy hard rock is the mainstream at this point. And Bullet Boys were just, you know, signed and gobbled up like the rest of them. The album itself is a good rock album. But to me... Smooth Opinion is obviously their, their most famous song, the best song that they've got. Um, the album is, to me, a generic Van Halen album, um, which is, you know, for for some bands, it's going to be great. Um, they released two singles off of it that both of them charted. The, the, the first single that came off the album was For the Love of Money. Now, mind you, we're in the 80s, For the Love of Money, even though it's an OJ song. I mean, the popularity of that song was still... You know, grooving into the '80s. So to, to release a, a a rock version of that song at the at the end of the '80s, even though this song was you know recorded by the OJ's and it's kind of R and B classic, I don't know. It, it it didn't do it for me. And they had a video. They had a it on the radio, but it was when Smooth Up in You came out that it really the band took off. It didn't do much better on the charts. I mean think if you think about it for love and money charted at number 38 on the mainstream charts and 78 on the the Billboard Hot 100 Smooth Opini went to 38 on the uh, excuse me no Smooth Opinion went to number 23 on the mainstream rock charts and 71 on the Billboard Hot 100 so it was a little bit better not dramatically better the album itself reached number 34 on the Billboard album charts. so it, it was it did well It sold well. It obviously went gold at some point. Um, But again, it was a matter to me, you're talking about generic Van Halen. Especially at this point when Van Halen was already riding high uh, with Sammy and and they were already on OU812 at this point. So, you know, I guess maybe people were still nostalgic for for some some Dave-sounding music. But... <clears throat> sorry but then you know they released their second album which came out many years later it wasn't even right away that's the other thing too again we talked about this on the last episode with these bands releasing albums years after the fact i mean this freak show came out in 1991 that's their second album that's three years after
1: the, f- the release Yeah, that's of, you know for a new that's band, a huge yeah yeah, I mean,
0: that's bad. Yeah. Okay. So Michael Jackson established that you don't need to to re to record.
1: <laughs> that's Michael Jackson. Well, uh, I'm though. I'm bringing this up
0: because <laughs> Michael Jackson with with um, with uh, Thriller. Okay, what did he, what did he release? Like seven singles off that album?
1: Exactly. I okay. mean, that's Michael Jackson. No, right? Like, exactly. But but. Because, he trends no i know i'm, I'm agreeing with you right. he's he transcends but these bands thought oh yeah. we can do the same thing no way
0: well what ended up happening was that the trend was let's release as many songs off an album as possible and keep the album going you know try to get the, the most out of it but they weren't gonna yeah. get 25 million in sales like michael jackson was getting you know no, if, no. the, if the album stalls it's it's not gonna you know, it's not going to do another million just because you release another single. The single's got to be good. You know, Michael Jackson put out a near perfect album with Thriller. Okay, Bullet Boys, not so much. <laughs> yeah. but and, and and it wasn't because they were saying, oh, let's drag this out. Because Smooth Up yet it was a big song and it was all over MTV. But at that time, if you if you're coming to the end of that cycle, you need to get another album in there. And Freak Show ended up coming out three years later. And for the most part, it was a disappointment. Um, they they put out a song, uh, Hang On St. Christopher, which was a Tom, Wait, Tom Waits cover. And yeah, it charted, went number 22 in the mainstream rock charts. But in reality, that was it. You know, the
1: rest of the album was
0: generic, generic pop metal. And it... Well, it uh, just I mean, as we there.
1: mentioned with that like the last episode there was just there was this was a, kind of a weird time and a lot of these bands kind of relied on the trends at the time and the trends were changing so they couldn't they couldn't just like coast. By and that's that's really what it is. A lot of them were just coasting.
0: You know, I I know that I personally, <laughs> I personally sound like a, a you know a, a Debbie Downer with some of these bands and some of these albums. But the god's honest truth is, you know, and and I'm sure there's people out there who agree with me on this. And and I've I've beat this to 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 a pulp. You know, it's got to have a hook. It's got to have a good melody. You know, and it it it's got to make you bop your head you know if if one of those three things
1: is missing this this is not going anywhere you know or you got to have a niche audience like we talked about with like bands like dream theater where right. they you even, know, even they dream have theater, a specific audience
0: their niche audience but you know what the, but there's still songs that are good in
1: there we just you know oh yeah yeah i'm not saying they're not good right. i'm just saying that like you know and, they they know what they're doing whereas some of these bands it seemed like they were just like riding on the coattails of of other bands
0: Right, you know, and and to, 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 again, you know, Van Halen, okay, so Van Halen is a very different beast, obviously, because Eddie was a a guitar god, if you want to look at it that way. You know, he comes out and he pulls out Eruption, but their big hit, what what was their big hit on the first album? It was You Really Got Me. That's what got them into the mainstream, but at the same time, they followed it up with really good songs, Running With The Devil, Ain't Talking About Love. You know those. You know, feel your love tonight. Those songs were their songs. Those songs were good songs, and they had a cover. That the cover was just to attract the 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 audience. You know, Van Halen two comes out, and they put out. You know, um, uh, no, it was uh, it was the first song. If I'm not saying the first song on Van Halen two.
1: You're no good. You're no good. You're no good. You're no good. Right, baby, you're no that good. Was, that,
0: that was a cover song, <clears throat> okay? It' not necessarily a super famous cover song, but it was a cover song nonetheless, you know. And they they came out with that. Um, that was the first song, but that wasn't their single. You know, they just did it to to put a song on there that maybe they thought would attract somebody. But dance a night away, you know. Somebody gave me a doctor. The rest of the album was all theirs, and it was a really good album. You know, later on when they did um, Diver Down, they had a crap load of of covers on that album, more covers than originals. You know, were they good songs? They were good versions, but they weren't necessarily songs that should have been covered you know, although pretty woman still, I mean, their version is killer and I don't know what's going on lately, but the the radio station over here, uh, the Eagle has been playing the crap out of that song. Every time I turn on and turn it on and there's a Van Halen song come on, it's that song. Pretty woman. (laughs) Really? Yeah. With, with a, with a heavily edited intro because the intro to that song is, is very, is, is a long, very machine like sounding guitar solo. And it, yeah, it, it, it's it lasts for like a minute and a half, but they they edited down to like ten seconds, <laughs> oh, wow, and then they go right into into uh, Pretty Woman. But anyway, to go to get back to Bullet Boys, yeah, they're Van Halen band, but they they weren't they were trying to to follow that Van Halen model, I guess you could say, cover songs, yeah. you know, their own songs. It worked on the first album didn't work so much on the following albums, you know, and then they they followed it up with m- more poor albums after that. You know, they put out, um, uh, they put out Zaza, they put out Acid Monkey, and from there just went to they were just a band just putting out albums for to, to fulfill their contract, and then they got released. Then they didn't put out another album for another eight years. And they put out Sophie and Tencent Billionaire a few years later. So their career just basically went nowhere after that. Um, but they're still around together today. They've had 30 members in the band, <laughs> thereabouts. I mean, literally over 30 members in the band. And amazingly enough, today it's the original lineup, which is pretty cool.
1: That Yeah, that's, again, very rare. Yeah,
0: but, you know, they're old now. So, you know, it's just a matter of like, hey, you want to play? Yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> 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 you know? So what what did what did you think of you know when we talked about this whole thing and I told you we were doing the Bullet Boys you know, I'm sure you listened to it what what did you think of that that album or that song?
1: So I knew nothing about the Bullet Boys and like I I had heard of them I had just never heard them really. But you heard the song um,
0: before, right? Smooth up in you.
1: Yeah, it, it just it wasn't one that like I knew like I had heard I was like oh yeah this song but I but I didn't know like the lyrics or anything like that it just it just had had passed by me a couple times um yeah i mean i totally get your description uh being a, a you know dime store uh van halen <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i mean they're good they're fine uh i didn't listen to much beyond that that first album it doesn't um, get
0: any better so it's a good thing you yeah, didn't torture was- yourself
1: <laughs> That was kind of the thing I skimmed by. And it's if you're a fan, that's great. Um, but for me, nothing really stuck out or stuck out that I just thought I needed to listen to more than
0: that one time. You know, it's funny, you know, when, we're, when we bag on these bands because they're not necessarily putting out good albums, here's the thing you know, obviously, you and I love this music in general. And the people who listen to this show love the music that we that we all listen to. We have a, a community of metalheads that love all this stuff. You know, and there's gonna be good and there's gonna be bad in all these bands and all these albums and all these songs. You know, some better than others, obviously. You know, and and these bands like like Bullet Boys or bands like um, Tora torah that we spoke about in the previous episode you know they 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 get their hit they get their shot their 15 minutes of fame and it's up to them to be able to sit there and say i want to keep this going and 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 come up with that next best song and for some people it just doesn't work and for some people you know like like for instance the two guys who wrote pat Benatar's um hit me with your best shot. They retired off of that album, off that song. Now they tried to write other songs. They never had another hit like that one. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it happens for some people. It happens, you know, many, many people say that kiss never had a hit, <laughs> but you know, Paul Stanley keeps writing songs and he keeps getting paid, you know? So it's true. It's, it's, I mean, it,
1: it The career doesn't amount to if you had a hit or not or anything like that. Like your influence on other musicians, your influence on other uh, like just fans, listeners, anyone. That's that's all that's really important. But at the end of the day, like this is a discussion about did these bands get hits or not? And in the spectrum of trying to fit into that category, a lot of them did not live up to what they set out to do exactly whereas you know like i said before with with dream theater i think they know their lane they stick in their lane they don't expect anything different so there's it's always different for everyone but for some bands like all they want to do is become massively successful mm-hmm. which i the the last band i'm going to talk about today that's definitely what he was trying to do all right so before you get into that I wanted to, to go over
0: a, a, a real quick and short list of some of the former members of Bullet Boys because I said they were over 30, right? They had, so some of their alumni include DJ Ashba of Guns N' Roses fame, Stephen Adler okay. from Guns N' Roses fame, Jason Hook from F- Five Finger Death Punch, Brent Fitz from Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. <laughs> He's a conspirator. Oh, wow. Um wow. Carrie Kelly, uh, Michael Thomas, um, there's, uh, let's see who else is in there um uh chris holmes from wasp phil verone from saigon kick i mean these are really some of these names are pretty big and some of them are not but they're but they're all they, these guys are known and it's amazing how many people were in this band
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah a lot of drummers it's definitely, that's like black black sabbath territory there yeah
0: yeah Unfortunately, did, at least Black Sabbath had a had a name behind it. Bullet, Bullet Boys were just like, "Yeah, hey, you want to play?" Yeah, who? who? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, there's some of those years in the '80s. It's, yeah, the '80s '90s is a little, little questionable there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what's the last band you got today? Well, um, going back to kind of what I was saying before, like this this guy specifically. Um, was setting out to become famous and, uh, he had his fame when he was a member of kiss. Uh, but this particular project never really took off. Um, it's maybe a little bit of stretch of the definition of, of one hit wonder, but I think, uh, we kind of discuss this where in this instance, the hype that led to this, this album or the first album, second album, um, kind of uh transcends that kind of sense of of one hit wonder in a way and this is uh vinnie vincent's invasion or vinnie vincent invasion um vinnie vincent if you don't know was brought in to replace ace freely uh on in kiss uh during kind of a time when they were still kind of keeping the mystique that there were the four original members. By this point, uh, Peter Chris had left. We were aware that that Eric Carr was the drummer, um, but uh, Ace Frehley was leaving the band, and they they continued. They, they put him on the album cover for Creatures of the Night because they still wanted people to think he was there. Um, he when when Vinny Vincent joined the band, um, I think he had a pretty big impact on their sound um he helped them kind of get through an odd and rough time um on this first album creatures of the night he ended up playing lead on six of the nine tracks he wasn't an official member of the band at this point um you know there was a disappointing tour for creatures but it really led to their next stage of their their uh evolution in the band and that was the non-makeup era uh, he became an official member of the band during that time. I guess he never really signed a, 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 fi- a like a final contract, right? No, he and that's never kinda signed what a led, contract. Yeah, that's kind of what led to him leaving eventually. But um, you know, he he wrote eight of the ten tracks on the fal- follow up album "Lick It Up." Um, there was always kind of this mentality, you know. Once Ace and and Peter were gone, that this was Gene and Paul's band, and everyone else just kind of did what they needed them to do. Um, but they really liked the stuff that Vinny was putting out, and that's why he was such a big contributor on those albums. Um, but there was a lot of drama backstage, um, just to put it lightly. Um, <laughs> Vinny her- there was drama
0: <laughs> on stage, too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Vinnie refused to sign a new contract like we mentioned and because he wanted a more secure role in the band and wanted a bigger stake in the profit, he was let go uh, he was then replaced by Mark St. John after the Look It Up tour and went on to form his own band which we we're going to talk about Vinnie Vincent Invasion um, and he had the mission that he wanted to beat Kiss at their own game hmm um, <clears throat> <laughs> uh, so, so he released the single Boys Are Gonna Rock. Uh, there was also Back on the Streets. Boys Are Gonna Rock was definitely the bigger one. Um, you know, the, he brought in this singer, Robert Fleischman. Uh, you know, very, very of the time kind of sound. Um, you know, if you've ever heard Vinny's playing, then you know exactly what you're hearing for the entire album. It's a lot of notes. It's um, <laughs> very good solos, but there's there's definitely some lacking on some of the song structure. Um, but it shows off what he's capable of, and I think that was for the most part the point. Um, Boys Are Gonna Rock received, you know, some rotation on on uh, MTV. Um, so there was an odd relationship in this band where, you know, Boys Are Gonna Rock the the video came out and you have Robert Fleischman on vocals in the audio track. However, you have Mark Slaughter doing karaoke or not karaoke, but uh lip syncing to <laughs> the vocals because by this point Robert had left the band and they had to find a new singer and apparently According to Vinnie Vincent, uh, uh, Mark Slaughter was forced on him, and uh, there was a really strained and bad relationship between him and and the singer. And it, it just never like was gonna go anywhere because of this. Like, do you remember seeing the video on MTV? No, I I don't. <laughs> I, I
0: I probably did, but at the time, I probably didn't know about the singing change. It's very similar, you know, um and well, it's not a similar situation, but um years ago Apocalyptica had a single that had the singer from uh oh, what's his name? From Shinedown. Um okay. the singer from Shinedown, I can't remember his name now offhand. The, the he recorded a song with with uh, Apocalyptica and they released it as a single and it became popular. Well, guess what? The record company said no, 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 you know, because Shinedown's record company basically said no, we can't have this as a single. They had to use they re-recorded the vocals, and the singer for Hubastank was the singer, and he was the one who ended up on the video, even though I the original that. was the one uh, from uh, Smith uh, Brent Smith, I think is his name. His his uh, his vocals were on the album, but the single was the singer from Hoobastank. but. This is not the same situation. Mark Slaughter was replacing Robert Fleischman, but you know, because they hadn't recorded done the video, Mark Slaughter ended up being a lip synker <laughs> I mean, video. it's it's not
1: unheard of for like guitarists and other things like that. When when the band has a change during that time, there's a lot of videos out there um, that have a change like where. This guy appeared in the video or appeared on the album cover, like even Vinnie Vincent, you know, had that situation where he uh, was not on the album cover of Creatures of the Night in any version, and he was was the player on it. So there's always these these instances where these things kind of happen, but it's very odd when it's the singer if if, um, if you look at, if you look at the promotional picture that they have of, of the band with Robert Fleischman
0: so if you know everyone knows out there that the drummer um, for Vinnie Vincent I don't want to say everyone knows that but the drummer for Vinnie Vincent was Bobby Rock so every, every a lot of people know who Bobby Rock is right and Dave yeah,
1: is the producer for Metallica for
0: many years nah, no <laughs> not, not, not that guy not that Bobby <laughs> not Rock not that not that Bobby uh, <laughs> so this <laughs> This guy looks like he's a porn star. Um, so anyway, Bobby Rock's a drummer, and then you've got Dana Strum on bass, Vinny Vincent on guitar, and then you have I, I think it's a guy from Mr. Mister or something like that who's the singer, because that's what he looks like. He's got the whole 80s hairstyle. He doesn't look like the the hair band style, you know, with the teased hair. No, no, he's got like the the you know the the simple minds look to him or something mm, like that. Gotcha. Robert Fleischman just does not look like he belongs in that band, and it's completely—it just stands out like a sore thumb. You know, everyone else has got the big teased hair; he d- does not. Um,
1: yeah, I didn't didn't have the look, but no. oddly enough, not the reason that no, he was oddly enough uh, not the reason. But that's yeah.
0: that's one of the things. Like I forgot who the other one. Um, oh, when um. Uh, the dude from Alcatraz, the singer for for Rainbow, um, before Joe Lynn Turner, after Ronnie James Dio, um, he I'm totally escaping me right now his name, <laughs> but you know he sang one album for Rainbow and then are you talking about Doogie White? No, 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 no. Before, before, before Joe Lynn Turner.
1: Oh, um, uh, oh no. <laughs> I know who we're talking exactly. about, but I can't think you of know, his name. He did the
0: album Down to Earth, and he he just did not fit the style of a of a metal singer or a hard rock singer. He he looked like he belonged, you know. Uh, he had the skinny tie and a, and short blonde hair. He just looked like he belonged, you know, on on solid gold or something like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, solid gold. Um, I'm. Uh, Grand Bonnet. Yes, Grand Bonnet. Bonnet. That that I, It was on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> you know, it, so Graham
0: Bonnet does one album and and he doesn't fit with Ruth Rainbow, you know, but he didn't But it's a good album. Oh, though. it's a great album. I love that album. I mean, it's He a, just does not have the look. He didn't yeah. have the look and, and and Richie wanted nothing to do with that look. But that wasn't the case with Vinnie Vincent's Invasion or I said the same thing you did. Vinnie Vincent Invasion, that's not the case with this uh, with this band and this album. It is Uh, something completely different Um,
1: yeah he was the guy he wanted he loved his voice and he felt like it fit and it just it didn't work out there was other you know things that were going on but you know it you know for what it is it's not a bad album I've listened to it a couple times for different reasons once for research for this and then once a long time ago when I was doing KISS research Um, and you know it's it's not a bad album. It just feels like it's it's a lot of ideas that weren't really refined in a lot of ways. Um, but "Boys Are Gonna Rock" is a pretty good song. I I I like it enough to you know to listen to it. But I I'm not gonna put it on like one of my major playlists or anything like that. Um, what's What's funny and interesting? There's there are some links to kiss throughout you know vinny's career you know he he ended up writing some music for uh what was the album he came the, back uh, for revenge for revenge he wrote a lot of tracks on revenge he wrote, i believe he
0: wrote unholy which is an amazing song i yeah, love that did. song
1: um he he actually they demoed back on the streets uh, for Creatures of the Night way back in the day, but it wasn't used. So he ended up using that in, in his second album, I believe. Um, or was it? No, that was the first album. And um, it ended up being covered by uh, Three Speed, which I'm not really familiar with, but it was for a movie called <laughs> Voyage of the Rock Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a, a classic. Um, it was covered by John Horam, Uh, which was Europe's original guitarist. Um, It was, interestingly enough, played by Ace Frehley early in his Frehley Comet shows. So um, he even demoed it, and it wasn't ever used on any album. But I thought that was really interesting that the guy who replaced Ace Frehley, you know, wrote a song that Ace Frehley played when he wasn't in Kiss, like, there's there's always these really interesting... That's why KISS is so interesting. Because they've got the, all these stories and links and stuff like that. And it's just so interconnected and weird. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, so, from their second album, they released Love Kills. And um, this was to be the, si- the final album. This one had Mark Slaughter on vocals. Um, it was called All Systems Go... Uh, and was featured on Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Um, MTV hosted a special uh, hour-long program with Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger as Freddy Krueger on the show, and Vinnie Vincent guest-starred promoting the music video. I have not seen this clip. I want to see this clip. <laughs> I think it would be really interesting and funny. Um I you know, I it's it's very MTV in the 80s. You know, that's just that's just such a, a an MTV thing to say. Oh, especially in 1988. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so the band only lasted from 1984 to 1989, uh, with Mark Slaughter and Dana Strum leaving to create the glam band Slaughter. Um, since then Vinny has only made a few sporadic appearances. Um, he co-wrote some songs on revenge revenge, like I mentioned. Uh, but then he ended up falling out of favor with, uh, Simmons and Stanley and really became a recluse for a long time. He, he did a show with, uh, um, with uh, Gene Simmons, uh, you know, fairly recently. Um, he did uh, some shows in, in 2018, uh, 2019, where um, it was really like a, a very small audience, and the people paid a lot of money to go see him. Um, there's you can watch those videos on YouTube. It's pretty interesting to hear him, you know, talk about these things. He did a, uh, a- an interview with Eddie Truck, where Eddie I said Truck. He did an interview with Eddie Trunk where he showed up very late and it's much shorter than it was supposed to be, which I wonder if it that was intentional or not. You know, he just he hasn't done a whole lot. He's had some tragedy in his life, which is really unfortunate. Um, his wife ended up. His well, at the time, it was his ex-wife, uh, got murdered. But he had a relationship with her due to their children together. His second wife ended up passing away in twenty fourteen due to complications from alcoholism. So he's had some real tragedy in his life, and I understand, like sometimes to a degree, why he wants to, you know be a little bit of a recluse but he was a really talented songwriter and it's really a tragedy that he didn't you know get along with some of the people that he played with and there's no pointing fingers to who's responsible for all of it because there's a lot of egos in music and especially in the kiss camp and it's just it's it's kind of sad to hear like maybe he if he had worked with some other musicians that um you know, worked better with him that maybe he could have released more music. But this was, this was a a project that kind of was born of anger. And unfortunately you can tell it's, it's, it's not very cohesive. It's not, it's not great, but there's a few good tracks that really came out of it. Unlike the other
0: band that was born out of anger that actually did succeed. And I'm talking about Megadeth this one was definitely not as successful um yeah you know when when i was younger and i and i was into kiss and i'm st- i still am but you know the whole thing with creatures and discovering the ace really really wasn't on the album and and then this guy vinnie vincent played on the album and then he played on lick it up and as a kid you you know you, you really didn't care about it and and growing up and learning all the issues that went on, you know, behind the scenes. Again, unless you're really, really into it, most people don't care. But metalheads or Kiss fanatics, part you know, people from the Kiss Army, they they want to know every detail. You know, they want to know how many times a day Gene Simmons takes shit, and they probably do know. You know, but in in this particular <laughs> case, it's
1: probably a book about it. I'm pretty sure.
0: <laughs> You know, making it, making the the way shit journals. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Um, but with, with Vinny, he, he's, he's so weird and I don't, you know, to, to use the word weird is wrong because what I'm, what I'm saying is that he has a lot of demons inside him. Right. And, and that's what causes him to be a recluse. When he came out in 2018 to this kiss expo after, after years and years of not being in the public eye, he comes out looking the way he does and it caught some people off guard. And, um, you know, but then, you know, he, he, he starts making all these commitments and he starts talking about, yeah, I'm back. I'm going to do this and I'm still a shredder and I'm still this and I'm still that talking the talk. And never walked the walk. You know, he was late for Eddie Trunk's interview. And if that was any indication for anybody, it was like, that is Vinnie Vincent. He's back to his old ways. Not that he wasn't out of his old ways because you know what? He reappeared for one minute and was gone the next. Okay. He appeared for for a few things, made promises that none of them were kept. And I, I personally think it has a lot to do with the demons that are inside him that he fights with with himself, you know, between looking the way he looks, maybe being, you know, something that he doesn't want to be or or is trying to be something that he, he feels he needs to be but doesn't know how to come out with it. You know, he's, he's one of those people trapped um, psychologically and, you know, if he would just come out and do what, you know, and, and be what he wants to be, I think he would be a, a lot freer in that regards, you know. But he is who he is. Um, he's a, an extremely talented musician with a tremendous amount of uh, baggage, if you want to put it that way. And I, I mean, I thought the stuff that he did in the 80s was good, but it, it, again, it's... it's you know who the the guitar player, uh, I believe his name is, Michael Angelo? Michael Angelo Yeah, that guy. Michael Angelo Badio. He's the guy who plays left-handed and right-handed. Okay? Mm-hmm. One of the world's most talented guitar players. Okay? 90% of the people in this world don't know, or let's say 99% of people in this world don't know who he is. Because he's a
1: guitarist guitarist. Right.
0: He's a guitarist for guitarist. You know, no one knows who he is, but he's amazingly talented. Okay? Vinnie Vincent is amazingly talented. And people know him because he's in KISS. Otherwise, no one would know him. If he if if Vinnie Vincent Invasion came out back in the eighties and no one knew who Vinnie Vincent was, Boys Are Gonna Rock would have made a small little blip on the radar and when the when the band disappeared no one would have ever thought of Vinnie Vincent again. The only That's reason people... probably
1: true. Right. Yeah. The only
0: reason people think about him is because he had an association with KISS. And Dana Strom and Mark Slaughter, the only reason people know about them is because they did Slaughter. A lot of people had no idea
1: that, he was, that they were part of the Vinnie Vincent invasion band. But so, I think, to the contrary, to some degree, I think he was capable of writing really good songs when he had somebody reign him in and that's what happened with his songwriting for Kiss where those those tracks were written by him primarily but he had somebody saying we're not going to just play a million notes so he has some, some ability that had he been surrounded by you know different musicians that, that he meshed with a bit better who knows it could have been better, but who knows? He may not have been able to get along with anybody. Yeah. So, and I don't think it's a matter really of
0: getting know. along with with people, really. Um, I mean, he
1: to some degree, he
0: is. definitely dislikes Mark Slaughter, but I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think it's a matter of with the rest of people disliking him or not getting along. I, I, I think it's, I, I guess I, I, I see your point in that regards because he is has this arrogant attitude towards yeah. him that he's this amazing guitar player um an amazing songwriter so maybe that does rub people the wrong way but you know why is it that gene simmons and paul stanley can can write a song with them you know because they know their limitations you know it's like all right we'll write a song together but that's about all you're gonna get you yep. know and once he Absolutely. goes past that he's like all right you cut off you know other people you know if they want to sit down with them sit down with them write the song and say okay thank you very much you know Yep, uh, it is, you know, it is what it is for Vinny. I, I wish him luck and success for whatever he does for the rest of his life. Um, but again, he's a tortured soul, it's unfortunate, it's very true. Okay, well, that wraps up our 10 albums and 10 one hit wonders out there. Um, some of you may or may not agree with us. Some of you may or may not, or some of you may have different lists, so go ahead, give us your comments when we post this uh, episode, and uh, we want to hear from you guys to know exactly what you guys think of as one-hit wonder metal bands. Um, With that said, our big four tonight is one-hit wonder metal bands. So our big four one-hit wonder, tonight's big four is the big four one-hit wonder metal bands. Keep saying that fast. It's going to drive you nuts. All right, Um, so last week you went first, or last episode you went first. I'm going to go first this time, Um, and I'll give you my brief answers as to why I chose who I chose. Um, All right, number four, Saigon Kick. Um, Not many people know who Saigon Kick are. I know I turned you on to them. They're pretty cool they had one hit off their second album, which is love is on the way. It was a MTV hit. The album went gold. The first album was to me, one of the best albums that come out in 1991. I love that album. I listen to it to this day. I listen to the second album is it's just as good, but even, even heavier, even harder, but they were a one hit wonder with love is on the way. Um, for me, I look at it as as, as differently. There were a two album plus a couple songs on the third album, Wonder, if you want to look at it that way. But they're my number four, one-hit wonder, heavy metal band. Number three, Dream Theater, and their one hit, Pull Me Under. Um, they're still going around today. So that tells you everything you need to know. You know, 1990, what year did they start in, 87, 88?
1: Um, they started in 1985, actually. Oh, 85. So they've
0: been around for a long, long time. You know, Pull Me Under was their was their what second album? Uh, not uh, G- Images and Words. Was it was on, yeah. It was on their
1: second album. Okay,
0: so it's it's been you know a long time since they had any sort of mainstream recognition, but yet they're still here today. They're still together as a band. The three original members, I think it is right. And so, or is it no two original members?
1: Uh, two. Yes, two original members because, uh, technically they were a three-piece when they first started. Right, and then they brought in t- uh, Charlie Domenici, right. and now Mike. Now Mike Portnoy's gone. Right, so, so
0: Port, you know, Portnoy's gone. That that was a sad thing to to do, and I think, I think Portnoy. I think he was a little misguided with his association with uh, Avenged Sevenfold. And, you know, he thought he was going to be a member of the band, but they really didn't go in that direction. And I don't know where the miscommunication came in. And I think that's a big reason why he ended up leaving uh, Dream Theater, because he wanted to take a break, but they didn't want to. And he wanted to try out this whole thing with Avenged Sevenfold, but it didn't work out. But, you know, such is life. And he has rekindled his relationship With the band, with some of the members of the band, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be back in the band. Mike Mangini. Well, I mean he
1: he did that album with uh, John Petrucci last year, right? So, like,
0: you know, he he's definitely talking to the band again, but you know they're keeping him, I guess, at at arm's length as as far as being a a member of the band again. From
1: what I understand, he has some issues with James Labrie. So as long as that goes around. It's that's never going to change. And then obviously they really like Mike Mangini. Like it, you don't just fire someone just to, you know, reestablish a lineup. If, if you're very comfortable with that lineup, no. unless you're kiss. <laughs> exactly.
0: No, man. a cool dude. I met him when he was a drummer with extreme. So I, I like him. He's really, really cool. All right. So, um, my number two band is quiet riot. um, Come on, feel the noise! To this day, is continuously played on classic rock radio stations across the country, across the world. It is a great song. It's a great cover, um, and and they that's how they established themselves. They did continue with you know they did have another hit with you know Metal Health, Bang Your Head, um, and that was as far as it went. I mean, they tried to do the whole route with Slade again with with Mama. We're all you know we're all crazy now in their second album. It was a minor hit for them, but at that point, you know, everyone was kind of like, "Yeah, this is this is the the Slade cover band." You know, that's what it ended up being. And then they had issues with with uh, Kevin, you know, and, his, and him being the singer and opening his mouth. And he got fired and came back, and you know, we all know the story now. Kevin has passed away. Frankie has passed away. Rudy's the only surviving member. No, well, that's not true. Carlos Cavazo still exists, but he just has—he's got nothing to do with Quite Riot. So he, yeah. Rudy's the only member that's back with the band. Um, and number one for me, Twisted Sister, their biggest hit. We're not going to take it. Everybody knows that it's mainstream across the board. I want to rock. Most of the people will know that song. Um, it was even, you know, re re-recorded and and uh, the words were changed for the the original first SpongeBob movie to "I'm a Goofy Goober" or, or yeah, a Goofy Goober. Wow, it was different. But D got paid so, <laughs> like a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars for that, you know, for them to change the lyrics and, and re-record the song. So. As uh, Although Twisted had a really long career, it was short. Then they got back together. Then they continued on, played shows, headlined all over Europe. But it wasn't the same. It was basically based on that one hit that they had. And that's how they, they maintained their career for the rest of their lives. Although they won't tell you that because, you know, D and especially J.J. French, they just believe that they're the best metal band in the world. So be it.
1: There's a lot of guys out there that convince themselves of that. You know, and <laughs> yeah. That if if it works for them, then that's that's what's necessary. I get it. Yep. All right. So my big four, this was kind of a tough one for me. Um, so a lot of these bands that, that are considered one-hit wonders, I don't really listen to a lot. But I, I maybe had to stretch the definition a little bit to some degree, um, so forgive me. But um, my number four is a band that I didn't really know that well uh, early, you know, for for most of their career. Uh, but I found them actually kind of by doing this show, um, and that's Loudness. Um, I once I figured out who, you know, that 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 riff from. Um, crazy nights or you know rock the rock and roll crazy nights um you know uh the main like heavy riff from the beginning i that connection i i had heard from children of bottom and i didn't know who they were and then we were talking about it and i figured out that this was the band and i ended up listening to you know that album uh thunder from the east and then you know going through a lot of their catalog including i, I i've listened to, to you know, a lot of world music, but I, I do like Japanese music and I went back and listened to some of their Japanese albums, their early stuff. I like their, their singer. Um, this, the second, uh, Japanese singer, I'm, his name is escaping me at the moment. Masaki Yamada. I like his stuff and I like the newer stuff that they're doing. So they've actually really grown on me and they do come up on my playlist, uh, quite often. Um, so that one was not a hard pick for me. Um, my number three is a band like you, you mentioned, I think it was your number four Saigon kick. I really came to enjoy their first two albums a lot. You know, they, they did have a a minor hit with uh, love is on the way. Like, like you mentioned, but for me, I love their first album, the best, and it's become a staple on my playlist as well. That's awesome. My number two, My number two is not a metal band per se, but they are a a rock and, uh, you know, hard rock uh, staple, and that was Thin Lizzy. Um, They've influenced a lot of bands. Uh, So many have mentioned them as an influence on their sound, including Metallica, and I thought they, you know, uh, any metal fan can understand why I would put them on this list. Um, And then my number one, uh, you and I disagreed on their you know, their validity as a one hit wonder, but by the definition that, that, you know, I gave on the previous episode, my number one is Queensryche. Um, I, you know, again, this was a band that I was not that familiar with. I didn't really listen to them when I was younger, but I've really grown to like a lot of their new stuff, uh, with their current singer, Talatori, And, and I went back from there and listened to a lot of their older music. And, it's it's a band that I you know as a one hit wonder you know they have a a huge fan base um, but they've never really made it on the charts so that's that's kind of why that's my de- definition of it um, but I think they are a really kick ass band and if you haven't heard a lot of their new stuff because maybe you're you know of the mindset that you know it's not the original singer definitely check out their new stuff it's really good. Um, but like we saw Queensryche live, and Talvitori can really belt out the old tracks with minimal effort. Like he's really impressive, and I just really enjoy this band. Now it's it's funny this list that it it almost feels like people I I never heard of you know a few years ago, um, but they've really grown on me.
0: That's awesome. I, I, I'm I'm really excited and happy that you're a Queensryche fan now, especially with with Todd in the band. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm as big a Queensryche fan now as I've ever been. Um, I'm glad you like Saigon Kick. I thought they were such a cool band and they were so different, you know, and they made an impact with those two albums. Yeah. You know, so that's cool. I I really like that. I I do kind of question the Thin Lizzy on your, on your list here, but that's a, that's neither here nor there <laughs> i'm I'm not going to uh to um...
1: like i said it's it's borderline, but to me, you know being a hard rock band, we talk regularly about hard rock and and heavy metal. I think they qualify um and they did have really only one major hit, which was the boys are back in town, so I think they qualify, but feel free to disagree with me.
0: That's 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 what this is all about.
1: (laughs) Send us a message and let us know. So, all right, well, debating
0: metalheads. Those are our big four one-hit wonder heavy metal bands, and that brings us to the end of part two of our one-hit wonders of heavy metal. So, as a reminder, you can find this in all of our previous episodes
1: on your favorite podcast platform. So, please don't forget to click the subscribe button. That's right, and if you enjoyed what you heard today, be sure to send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. If you use Spotify, be sure to check out our playlist from our Greatest Hits episodes. And remember to tune in to the next episode when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.